Titusville Morning Herald newspaper reported, Our attention has been called to a series of experiments that have been made in the wells of various localities by Colonel Roberts with his newly patented torpedo. The results have in many cases been astonishing. The torpedo, which is an iron case containing an amount of powder varying from 15 to 20 pounds, is lowered into the well down to the spot as near as can be ascertained where it is necessary to explode it. It is then exploded by means of a cap on the torpedo connected with the top of the shell by a wire. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you have probably worked out for yourself that this particular Titusville Morning Herald newspaper report is not, is not recent. Uh, in fact, it goes way back. It goes way back to, yes, the 1800s. And in fact, I'm not sure um, exactly when this was written, but it was somewhere probably, uh, it was somewhere probably around 18... 66. Now, the first thing, uh, before I go back and explain uh, why this little bit of history ties into our story today, uh, I, I want to I talk about the Titusville Herald because, um, you know, I read this and I thought, I wonder if the Titusville Herald, now this is Titusville, Pennsylvania, as you might guess, uh, which I believe if you go to the Titusville, Pennsylvania website, it does say on their website, right there on the homepage, the birthplace of the oil industry. So not Titusville, Florida, or any other Titusville that you may be familiar with. Um, but the Titusville Herald, uh, which is apparently, or, or was apparently, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the earliest newspapers, let's see, is it... Um, Oh, it was the first daily newspaper in uh, the Pennsylvania, in some part of Pennsylvania. Anyway, this, uh, this newspaper started in 1865. Um, so this, this article about Colonel Roberts was probably just shortly after the, the, the paper first went into circulation. And here, alas, here is a, uh, a local news article from the Erie, Pennsylvania area uh, dated just... Just not even a year ago, November 6th, 2022, the Titusville Herald is closing its doors after 157 years. So, uh, a little sad, you know, there's, if you read the story here, uh, you know, it was a long time family owned paper and it had been around for 157 years. And eventually, you know, somebody died and somebody else couldn't quite keep up with it. And, and you know how it is with these old uh, print papers, subscriptions are, are down tremendously. Uh, so it's sad. And, and they, and they, in, in this article, they, the, the, the uh, they talk about how sad they are that the paper is closed. But anyway, um, uh, if you want to, uh, if you want kind of a, uh, a, a, an approximate ruler for the history of the oil and gas industry to, today, uh, up to this time, then uh, you can kind of use the Titusville Herald because it was there for the first 157 years. Now, let's go back to this other thing. Um, why did I pick out um, the story about Colonel Roberts? Besides, besides it being a cool story, um, all right, let me, let, me, let me pause from this for a second and say that last week, on last week's exciting episode, um, uh, you'll remember that uh, it wasn't like the main thing wasn't really about this, but I did pull out this uh, news article 
up front about uh, that was in the Wall Street Journal about uh, lo and behold, it turns out that oil and gas reservoirs may may solve our this big problem we have about where do we get enough lithium for all the batteries we want to make. And um, and I thought it was kind of like like new news. Now it turns out uh, I learned a little bit more later. Somebody somebody pointed out to me that that's not really like it's not old news, but it's not really new news. And so I became curious about this um, this topic and wondering kind of like why aren't we? If it's not new news, then why aren't we hearing a whole bunch more about it? Um, Mark Lacour, of course, knew all about it because he knows all about everything. But uh, you know, I just haven't really seen this talked about, um, you know, in the usual places. And so, uh, so I looked at it and, and you don't have to, um, you actually don't have to look very hard to find some information on this. Uh, but don't worry, cause I've already done that for you. And my version is going to be way more entertaining. So let's, let's go to, um, well, uh, yeah, let's go to this article and we're going to go back to, to the Colonel Roberts story here in just a minute, but here. Here's an article from May 17th of 2022, so just about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. And, and this is actually from, uh, it's on the website of our, our, our esteemed University of Houston, which um, is, uh, is really, if you're not familiar with U of H, uh, boy, have they grown and matured in many different ways over the years. But uh, this is an article from, I, I think it's by a student. Um, it, it certainly reads like a student, uh, smart student nonetheless, but you know, uh, still a student. And the title of the article is Shale Reservoirs. Shale Reservoirs. Now it becomes even more interesting. I mean, I think I kind of realized this last week when I was reading about it, because I wasn't imagining that we were going to go out to, you know, to like a deep sea <laughs> offshore well and try to get lithium out of it. But it just calls attention to a particular thing that I think is interesting. Um, so shale reservoirs could be a substantial source of lithium. Well, that's what the Wall Street Journal told us. But here, uh, this is a year ago. So the Wall Street Journal article was from this week, last week, a year ago. Uh, uh, somebody named Karn Dhingra at the University of Houston, in Houston, wrote uh, an article shale reservoirs could be a substantial source of lithium. Now, a couple of things I want to call out here. I'm not going to read the whole article to you. You can go look it up later. Um, well, the first, <laughs> the opening sentence is, it might seem paradoxical. <laughs> yeah, it might. <laughs> it's, uh, the irony is not lost on us folks. By the way, my kids hate it when I say irony. That's why I always say it that way. So, um, uh, here we go. This is something that uh, the author says. While there might not be a shortage of lithium available in the world, there is currently a shortage of lithium available in the global marketplace. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of where you have to get it from. So somehow it, it might be in the world, but if it's not in the marketplace, then it doesn't do us much good. Um, and its price has fluctuated significantly in recent years, I'll say. Now, um, and, and then and then. Here he or she, I'm not sure on the, uh, I'm not sure on the, uh, on the name because it's, it's not from here, but, um, uh, explains that, you know, the shortage can be attributed to some different factors, supply chain bottlenecks. Yep. We're familiar with those, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, uh, highlights a, uh, an assistant professor of petroleum 
engineering at the University of Houston's Cullen College of Engineering. So an assistant professor of petroleum engineering, whose name is, and there's a, a very nice photo of her here. Uh, and boy, I don't know if I'm going to get this one right, but it's, it's, it's Kyung J. Lee. And uh, through her research of Pennsylvania's Marcellus Shale play, Pennsylvania keeps coming back into the story. Through her research, Lee found that highly concentratium, <laughs> concentratium, that's when you have a lot of lithium concentrated in one place, it's called concentratium. <laughs> I can't even say it. Uh, anyway, she found highly concentrated lithium was found in the produced water, um, along with produced natural gas and oil, presumably. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with produced water, it's just the water that is comes out as a byproduct during, you know, the, as you're getting the, the hydrocarbons on the ground. And uh, she says, quote, We found lithium in the petroleum-based rock brines, which opens new pathways to address the shale plays as a substantial, substantial source of lithium, given that they are ubiquitous in the U.S., so let me let me run that by you again because th this is kind of significant in in the in the broader story. Um, we found lithium in the petroleum-based rock brines, and this opens new pathways to address the shale plays as a substantial source of lithium, given that they are ubiquitous in the U.S. Now that's a big word; it just means they're everywhere. So let's break this down a little bit, shall we? Um, uh, and by the way, there's a little side comment here uh, that the U.S. really only has one active brine mine producing lithium. So it'd be really nice if we had a bunch more sources uh, within our own borders. Um, and, and we're going to share it with the rest of you out there in the rest of the world. Of course, we're going to share, uh, except for the, you know, except for some of you, but most of you will share it. Now, let's break this down. New pathways to address the shale plays. Um, given that they are, they're everywhere in the U.S. Now, what this means, faithful listeners, is that um, we are, <laughs> shale, uh, so our ability, the, uh, the uh, I'm going to always try to work this word into the program so you don't forget what, what it's about, the ingenuity of the people who figured out how to, not only how to, um, how to get oil and gas out of uh, tight shale, um, because in, you may not realize this, I think I covered this one time on a tech show episode, but, um, it was really like the whole fracking thing really was figured out a long time ago. I think I'm going to say late sixties or maybe it was even the fifties anyway, a long time ago. Um, but what wasn't figured out until I guess the nineties was how to do it. Um, you know, commercially, how to make it, how to do it economically, how to, how to, how to, uh, how to drill a, a shale well. Uh, using fracking in such a way that the economics worked and, and all of that. That wasn't figured out until much later. And and I'm not going to get it. That's a story for a different day, the people who figured that out. But let's just, let's just, let's say that the shorthand that we're going to use for today is they were really freaking smart on, on, how to, on how to do this because it's something that was discovered and it was, wasn't until 30 or 40 or years later, whatever it was, that somebody finally said, all right, here's how we're going to do this and really make it work for the industry. So, so... Um, now, as you might recall, there was quite a hullabaloo about, uh, these fracking operations and it was going to destroy the world or at least this continent at a minimum, because you don't see a lot of, you don't see fracking a whole lot in other parts of the world because, um, it's kind of a, it's, 
uh, well, it, it requires a lot of water for one thing. So you don't see a lot, a lot in the Middle East, but um, there are some. In, so those of you who live in countries where you've got uh, shale uh, shale plays or fracking operations, I know I know they're out there. But but the U.S. has like way more of it than everybody else put together, and it was really kind of uh, it was commercialized here. Um, but this isn't a thing about the, about the U.S. If you want to hear if you want to hear me go on about like about the, about America, then listen to the other go to the other show, Saving the Dream. We talk about that all the time. But in this case, I'm really just talking about the industry folks. Who figured this out? Now, they got a lot of pushback. There was a lot of, you know, people painting themselves different colors and, and screaming in the streets and carrying signs and whatnot about how um, how this fracking thing was going to just going to ruin everything. Um, but it turned out, it turned out, and we've mentioned this before, all these things come together, folks. It turned out that fracking kind of like saved I saving the world is, uh, you know, can I say it save the world? I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch, but you know, sometimes you just say things like that. It, it's what's that word? It's hyperbole because I'm trying to get your attention. But the point is fracking came to the rescue because you know, what happened was it allowed us to produce enough natural gas in this country that we were able to shut off a whole bunch of the, the, the coal plants producing electricity and switch those over to natural gas, which burns much cleaner. And there is a you can there is an observable corresponding correlating drop in America's carbon footprint uh, as you get going in the late nineties and early two thousands. Where uh, it, you know, and I don't have these these facts in front of me, but you can look it up. Um, uh, the the conversion to natural gas uh, caused our our carbon footprint or whatever we used to call it back then emissions. But anyway, it got way better because of that. So um, it also made, I mean, you know, it's just, it, I know there's a lot of people out there that still, that I shouldn't say still, that do make a living off of the coal industry. Um, but, I, you know, the natural gas thing was just better for, for everybody in general, except for the people working in the coal mines. Now, um, so uh, in spite of all the, all the bitching and moaning turns out it was really, not only was it good in terms of, it also was what caused America to become energy independent, uh, for five minutes. So, um, so the ingenuity of the people who figured that out, um, it was tremendously valuable. Um, not only in terms of being able to provide energy to people in their homes and wherever else they are, but also it was valuable in terms of cleaner, safer, better for the environment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's, all, it's also safer to, it's safer to, to pull natural gas out of the ground with fracking than it is to send people into coal mines. I, I think, I think it is. If you're in the coal industry and I'm wrong about that, feel free to call me out. Um, so what's the point? So first of all, um, the, the evil empire figured out how to develop shale, uh, shale plays shell basins, pull this stuff out of tight oil. And it, uh, and it came to the rescue in, in, in certain very important aspects. Now, fast forward, uh, whatever it's been, 20, another 20 years, 25 years, whatever. And it turns out that the frackers are coming to the rescue again, because by, um, the fact that we that we had the the science and the engineering that figured out how to do that now 
paves or what is it that uh, Professor Lee says here? Opens new pathways to address the shale place. Isn't it convenient that we figured out how to do that? And not only did we figure out how to do it, but we did it all over the country, much to the, you know, again, uh, uh, again, with to, to the background clamor of, of complaining and alarm sounding. We did this all, we did it, we did it all over, you know, the Permian is the biggest producing field in the world. Uh, Williston, the Marcellus, the, like all these, you know, whatever they call that one in Colorado and up through Utah. Um, so we did that. And now, lucky for the world, at least, uh, at least in this country, and, and, and who knows how far, what the, what the implications of this will be, but... We need a lot of lithium, and it turns out that maybe, maybe that whole thing where we figured out how to go underground and do a whole bunch of things to cause stuff to come out, ta-da, now we can do it with lithium. Now, um, where do I want to go from here? I want to, uh, so let's, let's, so, so let's highlight a couple of things. How's time? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I promise I won't drone on this time. I know I promise that every time. Um, There's another little a little tidbit I want to share, um, and and this this goes to the point of um, how come how come I felt like this was news and it's not news here in the Mining Journal, which you can find at mining-journal.com. In the Mining Journal, I find an article from when is this from March of 2019. So now it's four years ago. Four years ago, and. Let's see. Um, Extraction of lithium from oil and gas well sources is a broad paradigm shift. Well, no shit, Sherlock. MGX Minerals, which is a company, and Eureka Resources, uh, which is also, which is another, another, they're both like, like minerals mining companies. Um, I always thought it'd be fun to work for a company called Eureka because then you get to say Eureka. Uh, Eureka Resources are planning, the two of them four years ago are planning a joint venture to extract lithium from water produced at non-conventional oil and gas sites, non-conventional being shale plays to the rescue, again, um, oil and gas sites in the eastern U.S. So they were just focusing on the eastern U.S. But um, the pair, the two companies, signed a letter of intent to form an exclusive JV, that's joint venture, planning to use MGX. Now, see, here's the the interesting thing. There's There's a couple things here. First of all, forget about these two companies. I'm sure there's wonderful people that work there. I don't know who they are. The point is that this was four years ago and MGX, one of the companies, had something called rapid lithium extraction technology at Eureka's treatment plant. Oh, no, they had, blah, 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 blah. they had uh, MGX rapid lithium. So they plan to use the this technology, rapid lithium extraction technology over at the Eureka's treatment plants. So they're putting it all together. Um, Eureka said that it converted... They, they converted 10,000 barrels a day of produced water from oil and gas operators in the Marcellus and the Utica shale formations, that's up in New York, uh, into valuable co-products, including fresh water and high... Okay, so they had already been converting 10,000 barrels a day into other things. So all they're like, all we got to do is have MGX roll their lithium extraction, uh, like cool shit, into the, into the picture, and we can pull lithium out as well, because we've already got all the other parts and pieces in place. Now... Again, four years ago. Now, some of you, listen, if I just totally missed this, if this was all over the news and I was just missing it, then then send me a note and tell me, dumbass, this has already been covered. 
Um, by the way, you can send that note to michael at OGGN.com. But I feel like this just has not got much attention um, in the world. And of course, if, if that's true, I'm sure part of it is just because, wow, we don't really want to give the evil empire credit for doing something good. So, but we don't want them to not do it either. <laughs> so we're going to, so they're going to do it, but we're just not going to talk about it very much. So that's, uh, so that was going on four years ago. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, I, I'm going to go, I want to go back to the historical bit here too, because it all, it all comes together. But, uh, one more thing, one more little thing to share. Well, where the heck is it? Uh, okay, here we go. Now I, I'm just going to tell you about this, um, in the interest of time, uh, I'm not going to share the details, but there is a paper, uh, written and this is on ResearchGate, researchgate.net. So, uh, if you don't know, that's a place where they, publish research. And I think you can get a, I think you can get a subscription for free. I think you just have to sign up. So there is something here called, so if you're interested in, in a little, uh, a little primer, is it primer or primer? I've never really been clear on this uh, lithium recovery technology. There's an article called, or a paper called, it's not very long. It's just a few pages. Uh, lithium recovery from oil and gas produced water, a need for grow, a need for a growing industry. So look for that lithium recovery from oil and gas produced water, a need for a growing energy industry. If I remember, we'll put a link in the show notes. Now, these guys who wrote this and I'm, I don't, I guess the, the authors are at the end. So, um, uh, yeah, here we go. Um, <clears throat> Amit Kumar, T. Allen Hatton, J. A John H. Leonard. Uh, so these three three guys, uh, thank you for writing this. And it uh, explains, uh, right here, it explains the different forms of lithium recovery technology, the different types. It explains the different applications, what you can do with it, mostly make batteries. Um, and uh, the source, they do some analysis on the source and where how much of it we can get from the different shale plays around the country. Uh, there's a bit in here on which companies are doing some of the development of these technologies. Our friends at FMC are in there, I see, and also uh, also Dow and Tenova. So, um, uh, and you know, it's a nice little explanation of how uh, how this technology works and kind of what the potential for it is. And again, this was written um, in uh, 2019. So. Four years ago. So again, maybe I missed it, but uh, this, I, I, <laughs> you gotta love it, folks. You gotta love it. Now, let me, um, let's go back to the, to the, the story about Colonel Roberts, because this idea of taking an oil well or a gas well and doing something down there under the ground to make more stuff come out than was going to come out just because you drill the well, like this is not, not, not only is it not a new idea, but this idea, I mean, this goes all the way back to really just about the beginning of the industry, because remember... 1859, Drakewell. Now, here we are in the early 1600s. We are not. It doesn't go back that far, folks. But in the early 1860s, so just three or four years later, and here we have Civil War veteran Colonel Edward A. L. Roberts, who led a New Jersey regiment at the uh, famous 1862 Battle of Fredericksburg in Virginia. Now, here's why that's important. Because amid the chaos of the battle... He saw the results of explosive Confederate artillery rounds plunging into a narrow canal that obstructed the battlefield. So these artillery rounds are coming in, and they, you know, they explode once they hit. But but he sees them 
uh, plunging into the ground in this canal. And then, of course, they're probably exploding once they get in there. And, uh, and he just notices it. Uh, he doesn't, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't say that he had any particular ideas at that moment, but he just happened to notice it. So that, about a year later, when he is now out of the Army in 1863, uh, and, you know, he's probably thinking, oh, what do I do with myself now? I got to, I gotta, you know, my wife's going to be on my case. I got to do something. What do I do? Well, he remembers that battlefield observation, and then it gives him an idea that would evolve into what he described, what he, Colonel Roberts, in 1863, described using these words, superincumbent fluid tamping. Superincumbent fluid tamping. 1863, a retired military colonel, he uh, has this idea. He makes it work. Uh, he makes it work commercially. Uh, he gets a patent. Yeah, he actually gets gets a lot of patents and uh, and he ends up making a lot of money. But um, but the point is that this ingenuity, uh, in fact, I guess the way that you could probably tie it all together is to say um, that, you know, the beginning, this was the beginning of fracking. Of course, when, when, when actual fracking came along and when was that? Let's, okay, I got to find it real quick. Here we go. 1949. So when, when hydraulic, fra hydraulic fracturing, arrived in 1949. Of course, you know, it was quite, uh, the technology from Colonel, what was his name? Roberts, Colonel Roberts, black powder torpedo, uh, obviously would evolve. In fact, it was very soon after that, that, uh, they quit using the black powder and they started using the, um, the nitroglycerin because, you know, the black powder is very, the gunpowder is very dangerous and, and nitroglycerin isn't. But uh, the, the real thing was, I think they were having trouble with, you know, sparks. You're dropping this stuff down in the ground, it's bumping against rocks and, you know, there's a spark or something like that and it sets off the black powder where the nitroglycerin, you just, yeah, just had to be really careful uh, that you didn't, you know, shake it too hard. In fact, you might remember, it's it's been some time back now, but wait, maybe a year or two ago on the Oil and Gas Tech Show, I shared a chapter out of the book Voices from the Oil Fields, and it was a chapter titled "Shooters Don't Make But One Mistake," and, uh, and it was about this guy who was who was a shooter dropping what then became nitroglycerin torpedoes uh, down into the wells. He was quite a character, and uh, as is, as is uh, this, one other, this one other guy that I stumbled on here named John J. McLaurin, who in 1896, uh, you know, some 30 years later, was writing a book called Sketches in Crude Oil. Uh, now, that's not the full title. The full title of the book, you know, back then they used to like to put these long subtitles, you know, some short little title and then a long subtitle, and the subtitle is... Some accidents and incidents of the petroleum development in all parts of the globe. <laughs> so this guy wrote, wrote a whole book about about uh, about accidents in the industry that happened, and it was you know it was not particularly safe back then. And um, and and it doesn't matter what you say about the industry today. When you compare, I mean the the the, the advancements in safety. And and cleanliness uh, have been uh, nothing short of of uh, tremendous. Now, uh, this guy here, John McLaurin, in 1896, here's what, he was speaking of the transition from the uh, the black powder torpedoes to nitroglycerin, and he said, um, "Oh yeah, here we go." He says, "A flame or a spark would not explode nitroglycerin readily, but but." 
the chap who struck it a hard rap might as well avoid trouble among his heirs by having had his will written and a cigar box ordered to hold such fragments as his weeping relatives could pick from the surrounding district. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing because it's pretty gruesome. Uh, I guess I'm laughing that somebody actually wrote it down that way. Uh, and, and, and it is gruesome. So I'm not, not going to leave you with that folks. But, uh, the thing that I want to highlight is that, uh, boy, boy, have we come a long way, but it was the, you, you know, not only, not only the smarts back then, um, to figure these things out, but there was some courage involved because it's not like these people didn't know that they were taking their life into their own hands every time they drop one of these things down a hole, but they persisted and they found better ways of doing it and, uh, and better ways of doing a lot of things, but they couldn't possibly have known what they couldn't have known back then, um, which is fascinating in the rear view, as they say, was that this, this, this thing that they came up with for making explosions down uh down inside of a of a well not only not only someday uh some uh you know 120 130 years later not only would it would it come to the rescue uh, in, 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 a, in a part of the world where we desperately needed to produce a whole lot more oil and especially natural gas. And, and, it, and it saved us in some respects there, but it, now it's going, it, the, the evolution of this technology, this engineering is going to save us yet again, because what is it that we need more than anything else in the world? Lithium. And why do we need lithium? Because we want to make batteries. We want to make a lot of batteries. And so, if that's how it's going to go, then the smart people in the oil and gas industry might as well show them how it's done. Yeah.